everyone! So our topic for today is autistic burnouts, meltdowns, shutdowns and I am so excited to be here the second time because the first time it didn't work so we had to restart everything. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with um, our two wonderful guests that hopefully will come on in a minute and of course Jen which is the brain behind this idea of doing a series of lives based on the book The Reason I Jump. So that's it Sarah you're here let's get you in and Jen Yes, that's it. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> Yay, you're the first one again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Fingers crossed. Yes, yes, yes. Keep them crossed this time. Let's see. All right. Yay, you're here too. <laughs> Now we need one more. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. Let's yeah, see. <laughs> <sighs> so, Sarah, tell us what projects are you doing? Because you, you were being so creative a while ago. Mm -hmm. Do you still keep up with all the drawings and arts and crafts you're doing? <laughs> Yeah, I do. I, I do an art class once a week, but um, I do it in my spare time as well. Just I always draw. I've always always have done. So it's kind of my way of escaping things. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm doing a painting course, which is interesting <laughs> because we're using different materials. So. I see. So it's not just like watercolours or anything. It's a combination yeah, it's of... It's, it's like mixed media. So Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. There's though. a word for it. There's a word for it. Yeah, mixed media or something yeah, like that. It's good. Yay. Mm -hmm. And Jen, tell us, I've heard you are running a support group <clears throat> that I'm interested in. <laughs> well, I just finished. Um, it was amazing. And I almost cried to say goodbye to everybody. Oh. <laughs> But we're starting another one at the beginning of June, and it's for women with late diagnosed autism. So, you know, around adulthood, when you discover, I think I know now why I've always thought there was something wrong with me my whole life. So there's oh. a lot of trauma that comes with that and a lot of emotional issues. And just to be with people with the same experience in a safe place, and it's once a week, so you build a rapport and a comfort level and um we do it's basically the group members can decide how they want the group to run but this last time we did a topic every week and we all agreed on the topic and um yeah it was amazing so anyone who's interested or knows someone who might be interested um, send them my way we have two openings so um yeah, it's it's really important. And I think a lot of adults are saying that there's not much out there for them. You know, there's a lot of services for autistic children, but yeah. not much for adults. So True, true. Very true. <laughs> <sighs> I'm, just, I'm clicking. 
I'm clicking on inviting Carol Jean, but he doesn't seem to be able to let me do it. This is so annoying. Yeah, just keep clicking. I've had that happen. and I oh, keep... Right. I clicked like three times. <laughs> it's still not. Oh, my gosh. It says invited. Let's see. Work. Aha. Uh -huh, no. <laughs> no. I can see me. Oh, no one else can see me. My whole no. phone crashed. I'm so sorry. Okay. I don't think it's your fault. It happened in the past for whatever reason. I think it's random choosing of Instagram or something. Oh. But yeah, oh, it happened to me. All right. Well, well, you'll be incognito. How's that? Okay. That oh. works. Maybe I'll... I'm so sorry. I know, I know. All right. Well, um... is Jen freezing? Yes, I think so. It must just be a bad internet day. <laughs> Are you in the same area as Jean, as Jen? No, we're on opposite coasts. Oh no! Yeah, I had I'm a live at lunch. Yeah, I had a live at lunch today, didn't I, Sarah? And it was all frozen. Kind of oh, no. <laughs> Similar problems with the connection. Yeah, oh. it's pretty annoying when oh. it happens. Said that her phone just oh. died. Jen said her phone died. <laughs> died. Died. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. What's the word? Resilience or yes. something? Hey, we just show up and we do our best. Yeah. That's all we can do. do and we show up with, with curiosity and compassion and humor. <laughs> Carol Jean, why don't you introduce yourself incognito to everybody? <laughs> All right, incognito. I am Carol G. Yes, Whittington. <laughs> I am the founder and principal of Mind Your Autistic Brain. I specialize in autistic burnout, recovery, and restoration from burnout to thriving for late identified autistic adults. Uh, I host individual coaching sessions as well as small group coaching. I am also the host of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show, where we dive in deep every week into the topics that are affecting our lives as late-identified autistics. That's so amazing, and I've been watching loads of your YouTube videos, and I just love all of them, I have to say. <laughs> and you've been so active in April for, um, you know, for the Autism Month. Awareness Month, you've been so, so active, haven't you? What have you been working on? Tell us. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Shine a Light campaign, which is for autistic advocates. And it was at autistic advocates shining a light on our voices. In the past, so often, we were spoken over and spoken for, but never given the opportunities to speak for ourselves. So this was a campaign that I started called Shine a Light, where I highlighted and have been highlighting. We had so many people show up and so many entries that it's actually happening all the way through May. So the hashtag is Shine a Light, and autistic advocates from all over the globe have been sharing 
why they're advocating, how they're advocating within their lives, and insights that they want other people to know who might just be starting their journey to start advocating for themselves in their life as well. That's fantastic. Yes. And so on your um, Instagram page, do you have a link tree with all of the different connections I absolutely find. do I have the link tree there with all of the links and next Wednesday um, I'm hosting a community event with my friend Dr. Scott Frasard and we are talking about flipping the script how do you de-escalate a, a heightened or very emotionally charged conversation online and get to a place of mm -hmm. compassionate curiosity and understanding wow that's that sounds amazing <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I just put my head under the covers and said, I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> well, in all transparency, I took the entire week off last week to have just some self some self care and recovery time and some play and some quiet. <laughs> Good for you. Wow, that's so important. Usually uh, online, and when there's something that, you know, it's too spirited, <laughs> I just hang up and I just say, oh, I lost connection. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. But wouldn't that be awesome to be able to reach those people and kind of turn it around? Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Would be amazing. So, how about you, Sarah? Tell us about you. Um, I'm Sarah, and I'm a late diagnosed autistic. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I I describe it as like a life changing moment um, for the better because it answered so many questions that I'd had all my life that were unanswered. A bit like what Jen was saying about her group, and and it just it just everything made sense um and yeah it, I, I i love the autism community out there i learned so much from them and they've also helped me and we all help each other to kind of go on our journey of being late diagnosed and yeah i just i'm just very thankful for for that yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you <laughs> Bella. Am I still incognito? Yes, <laughs> you're a little circle that's spinning. Oh around. my goodness! Well, I have my iPad here, and it says that I can try and log in, but I have to log out of the one I'm in. <laughs> okay. Would you like me to try that? Okay. Okay. I don't want to mess anything up, and <laughs> absolutely go ahead and start without me, and I'll just jump in. Okay. We can definitely do that. Yeah, we'd love to see you. But Claire says that she loves your voice. It's so soothing. So <laughs> we appreciate you so much being here, Carol Jean. Yay. Oh, so that's it. Shall we get ready with the chapter? What do you think? Did you tell us about you? <laughs> no, but they know me. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'll just quickly do my introduction. I'm a psychotherapist and coach, and I specialize in autism. So I work with parents and um, challenging behavior issues and 
um, adults, couples, the whole gamut. So mm -hmm. um, check me out if you have any questions, DM me, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to be in Jen's group, yeah. <laughs> support group. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, so we're going to be reading a chapter from The Reason I Jump which is Naoki Higoshida. I think most people probably know about this book now. <laughs> he was 13 at the time he wrote it, and he did it all with the alphabet board, so he's nonverbal. And um, amazing perspective. This is his perspective of his experience of autism, and then sometimes he has a little suggestions at the end of each chapter. So... I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter just to start off the conversation. But as we know, everybody experiences things differently. Yay! We can see you. All right. <laughs> You're, she's alive. She's alive. She's alive. Well, one way or another, I mean, I'll figure it out. <laughs> this was just oh, not a tech-friendly afternoon for all of us, ladies. No. So I'm here. Sorry about that. I know my phone just just shut off. <laughs> so anyway, I was just about to read this chapter and just saying that it's one person's perspective and it's just kind of a way for us to kind of kick off the conversation about meltdowns and burnout and shutdowns and the like. So he writes, I don't know if you can understand this one. Panic attacks can be triggered by many things, but even if you set up an ideal environment, that gets rid of all the usual causes for a given person, we would still suffer panic attacks now and then. One of the biggest misunderstandings you have about us is your belief that our feelings aren't as subtle or complex as yours. I think he's writing to the neurotypical um, individuals there. Because how we behave can appear so childish in your eyes, you tend to assume that we're childish on the inside too. But of course, we experience the same emotions that you do. And because people with autism aren't skillful talkers, we may in fact be even more sensitive than you are. Stuck here inside these unresponsive bodies of ours with feelings we can't properly express, it's always a struggle just to survive. And it's this feeling of helplessness that can sometimes drive us half crazy and brings us on a panic attack or brings on a panic attack or meltdown. When this is happening to us, please just let us cry or yell and get it all out. Stay close by and keep a gentle eye on us while we're swept up in our torment. Please stop us from hurting ourselves or others. So sounds very painful. And again, this is one person's perspective. Um, but one of the things that I absolutely love that comes across is that it's not purposeful, it's not attacking. And I have um, sometimes with new parents that don't understand may think it's bad behavior and treat it as the child being bad. And that can just create more anxiety and more trauma and all of that. So I love that he explains that. Um, so if we can go ahead and, Carol Jean, do you want to respond or add or talk about your experience? There is, there is such a component from the autistic perspective, and I can only speak for myself from this and, 
and I've heard something very similar from so many of my own clients, coaching clients, shame. There is so much shame. There is so much self beratement because we feel like, or I have felt like in the past, why can't I hold it together? Why can't I seem to operate in this environment? It doesn't seem to be bothering everyone else. Yet here I am just on the verge of losing it or, you know, finding the nearest bathroom just to escape it, whatever it might be in that moment. I am 48. I just turned 48. And I was identified at 39. I wasn't originally identified with alexithymia. That didn't enter my world until a little over two, three years ago. That has been one of the biggest components because I identified my earliest autistic burnout at the age of six. And then from that point forward, proceeded on what I call the chronic cycle loop, the burnout trap, where you recover, restore just enough that you start to feel good again. You feel like I can go out and do, go back to life, quote unquote, as mm-hmm. usual. And then a few weeks later, a few months later, after being back to life as usual, you're back in that same place again and you're exhausted. You're overwhelmed. It is just more than you can do just to put one foot in front of the other, much less, you know, get dressed, brush your teeth and all the quote unquote things that you do in life. Alexithymia is such a big part of the identification of what is my body telling me is happening around me? How am I responding to my environment? And then connecting it in your mind of, oh, this is what I'm experiencing. And then being able to either articulate it verbally or share in a written form or with images because I go into nonverbal shutdowns when it's really stressful for me. And I haven't done that in several years, but when I didn't know what it was, it was terrifying. So a big component to also- Can you explain what what alexithemia is for- Yes. Um, but a big component of that is just the, the internalized shame of feeling so unworthy, less than unlovable um, when you aren't, quote unquote, doing it right in the world and you are experiencing a meltdown or a shutdown. Um, alexithymia and the definitions and understanding of alexithymia has grown exponentially just in the last five years alone. Um, alexithymia is a difficulty in recognizing your physical sensations and then connecting that in your mind and being able to express it with vocabulary that articulates or a vernacular that says, this is what you're feeling. Or in my case as well, you feel all of these feelings. There is no filter buffering it out. So you're experiencing 900 different layers of emotions at one time, and they are all very big. So sorting through which one is really the prevalent emotion for the moment and why you're feeling that way is very difficult. Um, 
over the last two years, I've learned lots of strategies and lots of tools and techniques that, is, that have helped me um, create a vocabulary and recognizing what those emotions are in my body. But that led to a lot of autistic burnout because I was not aware of, I was ignoring and suppressing what I was experiencing in my body. Wow. So by being aware of it, does that then help you not go into that shame cycle as well? when you recognize what's going on in your body? Awareness is key. Awareness is a foundational component to everything. Um, I don't feel ashamed anymore. That's because I know that I'm worthy. I know that I'm lovable for the first time in my life. And that I do and experience things differently doesn't make me less than. Mm -hmm. That's the big part that makes the difference. So then I allow myself to say, hey, this is too much right now. And I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of myself so that I'm at my best. So you're not forcing yourself into a situation because you're supposed to or you should or that's what a neurotypical would do. As my friend Allie says, I'm not going to should myself to death. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, we'll get back to some of those tools that you talked about. Let's hear from Sarah. What's um, your... <laughs> What's my experience? Okay. Um, well, for me, I, I, I link very much to what's just been said. Um, I've been working alongside a psych psychologist and um, she was helping me uh, work out where my meltdowns were coming from and um since childhood but also throughout adulthood um because the shame was was a significant factor um which kept triggering it as well um but the main thing that we discovered was because i was diagnosed with lexithemia as well um i didn't know how to communicate my feelings and that was triggering me all the time um because i just couldn't i couldn't tell how my body was feeling i couldn't use the words to describe the feelings either and the, the education that I had from the psychologist helped me track my emotions. She taught me about emotions first, and then she helped me track my emotions. And I used a tracker um, to help me pinpoint where I was starting to get these overlapping emotions, which built up and built up and built up and then ended up in massive meltdowns. Um, so that education was really, really um, beneficial for me because I did not understand my emotions at all. I didn't realise how little I understood. Um, and I think an understanding and acknowledgement is is key um, to helping with meltdowns. It doesn't take it away, but it does it does help you kind of process at the end of the meltdown what's been going on. You can look back at the track. I look back at my tracker and I, I say, okay, these are the feelings that I felt and that's that's okay. Uh, whereas before it was like it was coming out of nowhere, but that's not the case. It's not coming out of nowhere. It just feels like that. So yeah, really linked to what, what was just said. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, that was why I kind of said in the beginning that I think sometimes um, new parents don't understand what's going on and treat it as bad behavior and um, society and, you know, like you were talking about shame that you shouldn't yeah. be doing this. So you get another layer on top of just the overwhelm from too much sensory input or whatever's kind of going on. And then there's another layer of 
shame and criticism and even like self-hate and what's wrong with me mm -hmm. and so it just makes it heightened instead of okay i'm overwhelmed right now this is what i need to do for myself and i think also yeah. the, the shame becomes more as you get older because you you're expected to just be okay and to mm -hmm. act a certain way but you don't have control over that and um I know that as growing up, I was I, I was punished for things that I shouldn't have been punished for. Um, but of course, my parents didn't know that I was autistic. And um, yeah, that's 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 where the, the key is, really, isn't it? Because if you I think with late diagnosed being late diagnosed, it comes a lot of trauma because you go through growing up not knowing like how to be or how you've masked everything because you you want to you've been told you should be a certain way that includes meltdowns so you i would try and suppress the meltdowns and then they'd be even bigger <laughs> uh, which caused even more problems at home so um and including in adulthood as well um so yeah is, is it a scary feeling when you don't understand why you're melting down um yeah it's really scary i mean it's it's not as scary now because i have more knowledge um right. and i and i accept it more but um there are still occasions where it does scare me but um it used to be quite violent and um and towards myself mostly but um i think not knowing where those came from and being told why are you doing this and being questioned and questioned over and over and in mid mid meltdown as well it just it was it was tra traumatic it <laughs> I, I don't like to think back to them those um those yeah. times we don't want to make you no. <laughs> relive your <laughs> but, trauma yeah but yeah. no it, 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 it is it is scary it is scary yeah i would think to feel that out of control and to have no support or compassion and just you know being told you're doing something really wrong i think for a child that would create so much more anxiety and yeah wow. for me as a child and even as an adult um i relate so much to what sarah was saying i would hold it in because i knew i could not quote unquote misbehave mm -hmm. i had to keep it together so I would suppress and hold everything in and I was like a pressure cooker. Mm. So after the buildup had, had simmered and had continued to build, and I call it the stress lasagna because it's just layers and layers until you reach this, this climax and everything's sliding off into the floor off the plate. Wow. And when that would happen, I would, I would, it was almost like I would disconnect from my body, like it was an out-of-body experience and a meltdown. And I would be yelling or screaming or throwing something, even as an adult. And when you're married, having a disagreement with your spouse, this is not a good place to be, but I've been there. Yeah. And in that moment, you're thinking, as all these words are coming out of your mouth and you are anything but under control, at that point and you look and I remember looking and thinking to myself why are you doing this why can't you stop why can't you stop yelling why can't you stop throwing things what is wrong with you I mean that was the thought happening at the same time that the actions are pouring out of me 
And then, of course, the hangover that hits afterward and you are completely drained. And it's almost like you go from this exacerbated extreme of this volatile meltdown to the opposite and it's a total shutdown. And I've had that happen where the pendulum goes from one side to the other. And then you just, it takes days to recover and you were just, I would almost be catatonic sometimes. And that dramatically impacts your relationships with yourself, number one, because you're judging and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Why can't you seem to do what everybody else is doing? And then it's also impacting your relationships with the people you love. And if you haven't, or if you don't know you're autistic, if you don't know that you have alexithymia or any of these things, and you don't know that this is a meltdown, you think you're just losing it. And sometimes to the point that you think you're losing your mind and going crazy, it is terrifying. There is so much that's going on and everyone around you is sort of tiptoeing on eggshells because they're afraid you're going to lose it again. And they don't know why. And you don't know why to tell them sometimes at that point. It's just awful. Just what a terrible, and you know, there's so many comorbidities of, you know, people that also have anxiety and depression and, you know, other mental health issues, of course, you know, why wouldn't you when you have that kind of experience? And it seems like it would be kind of terrifying and isolating. Yeah. Well, thank you for that description it's really um you know as a as a therapist i mean i i see it and i feel compassion for the kids but to hear you know what what the experience is like from someone who's been there it's really powerful one of the things because i am also a mom (laughs) to two neurodistinct teenage boys at this time There are so many things that we've learned along our journey as me as an adult and as a parent and for them. Uh, So if we have parents listening today who are wondering, well, what do I do? How do Mm -hmm. I help my child? How do I better understand this or communicate or help give them tools to better understand themselves? It starts with listening. It starts with not the not the questions that you ask because you can ask a hundred questions and it's not going to get an answer that's going to serve. It's the quality of the question that you ask. And number one, the very best way to sometimes, especially teenagers, it's not, how was your day? How are you feeling? How did it go today? But sometimes it's just a simple shift and it's, how's your heart? How's your heart today? Because when you ask me, how's my day or how's it going? I'm going to tell you fine because I really don't want to have to answer or I don't want to have to stop. And also knowing that having a conversation when it's maybe take a walk, Mm -hmm. do something that is out of your normal environment. You know, the kids and I, we had conversations in the car. It it was like Mm -hmm. they knew they had a captive audience when I was driving the car. So they would ask me questions or they would tell me things that maybe they wouldn't have told me if we were just in the kitchen, but they would tell me in the car. 
So it's finding places that your children feel comfortable and feel non-threatened that they can share and asking, how's your heart? Because that makes you think more of an internal physical response of, well, what am I feeling? What's my heart feeling right now? And not just the superficial quick question of, well, how was your school day today? And I wonder if modeling that as well, like if someone asks you, how's your heart? Maybe modeling that as well to help them make that connection. Yeah. Bella, do we have some comments coming in? <laughs> no? I thought I saw a few. Maybe that was, yeah. Okay. I can't ask. <laughs> I couldn't unmute myself. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was trying to say something. <laughs> and anyway, yes, we do have some comments. Um, we have Louise Roberts music. He says, um, my parents still mock me and humiliate me for steaming. And then autistic author is asking, are we talking about prevention or solutions or just self-acceptance regarding our topic, burnouts and meltdowns and shutdowns? So um, I just answered him, any experience you would like to share with us <laughs> related to the topic? I think um, um, everybody's experience is different in a way but then like sarah said she related to what carol jean said and carol g related to what sarah said so yes um what else oh claire says um i always thought alexithymia uh, was only the lack of awareness i didn't realize it was feeling all the feelings at the same time time because uh, i can get overwhelmed with my feelings sometimes yeah, it's recently, I think from you, when we did our live, Carol Jean, um, last year, I actually looked it up to see more in depth what it meant. And um, yeah, I understood because I thought the same thing as, um, as Claire, that is just no awareness, but it's not actually just that, isn't it? It's a deeper one. Um, my social tales. I'll, I'll just read because this is the last one. So it's my social tale says, I love this. I work with very young children under the age of three, but it is so wonderful to hear the experiences of others. Yes. Yes. Go for it, Carol Jean. <laughs> so I think one of the things and probably a place that we need to sort of back up and start is meltdowns and shutdowns, how they differ from autistic burnout. Autistic meltdowns and shutdowns are a short-term, immediate response to overwhelm, be it sensory or mental or emotional overwhelm. A meltdown is not a tantrum. It is not something that is controllable or that is being used to manipulate. That is very important because that's a lot of questions that I get from parents a lot is, you know, is this, how do I tell a tantrum from a meltdown? You know, my child's autistic and I'm like, well, you just, uh, you, you operate on the assumption that this is a meltdown, not a tantrum. Um, 
But what is important to note is that meltdowns and shutdowns, when you start to notice that the occurrence of a meltdown or a shutdown is becoming more frequent, it is a warning sign and you need to pay attention. It means that that person's needs are going unmet and they are going unmet consistently enough for occurrences to be more frequent. That leads to autistic burnout. Autistic burnout is a long-term, consistent, unmet needs that then result in a long-term loss of skills and abilities and functionality. It can take weeks, months, or years to restore from. So it's very important if you are noticing meltdowns and shutdowns and that they are becoming more frequent, it is a signpost that needs are going unmet. What are those needs is the conversation. What is it that you need? And sometimes not having the vernacular, not having the vocabulary or a way to identify or even recognize what our needs are as autistic people happens. So we need help. We need to have conversations that include lots of different information and perspectives from sensory overwhelm, um, looking at all different types of sensory. And this week I have a post on my account about different areas of sensory rest that are very beneficial to start with. Um, but there's, a, I have a list of the top 20 warning signs. You may be in autistic burnout and other resources there, if you, you know, for anyone who's interested that might need to go look at that. Um, but there, there are things that you need to note. Thank you. That's, um, I love that you clarified that because I did want to ask that earlier and we, <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, that's really helpful. And I also think, you know, like you said that, um, some people cannot, they don't know why, you know, you'll ask them why and they don't, they can't articulate. And part of it is helping be, I think, kind of like a detective and helping to look at what could be the possible factors. Um, if a child's having trouble in school and, um, or I have lots of kids that will hate school or they have more acting out at school and stuff. And it could be the lighting, it could be a peer, it could be, you know, there's so many things and that sometimes a child can't identify. They just know that they yeah, go into this overwhelm. So it can take a lot to, to help sort out everything mm -hmm. involved. Um, Sarah, have you experienced the burnout aspect of, of what we're talking about? Yeah, I had, um, I had two recent, significant burnouts starting in 2019 2020 and I'm still kind of recovering um but they lasted months at a time um and I could I basically lost I lost all the ability to function self-care um talking I just it they were treating me for mental health issues at the time but the psychiatrist that I saw identified it as burnout in the end um but it was like an intolerance to stimulus um and it was a result as a result of like chronic kind of chronic life stress and like a mismatch of my what i was what i was expected to be able to do and my abilities and the, the lack of support that i was getting 
um, at the time. Um, and most of it was surrounded by like work and family issues um, and sensory sensory issues. Um, yeah, and it's taken me a long time to time long time to understand it for professionals to understand it to help me recover. Um, it it takes a lot of things like um, sensory soothing, movement, um, a masking is a, a major one that I realised masking was. Um, causing a lot of that um, rest but not too much rest <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a difficult one to balance um, and dropping unnecessary demands so unfortunately I had to decide to kind of put my career on hold and um, basically yeah stay out of the work environment for a long time um and that's still the case now but i'm a lot lot better and um hopefully i'll i'll know what to go into next time which is going to be less it's going to be it's going to be more supportive and um yeah burnout just happened over and over again it was just and then it got to a point where i couldn't do it anymore so i need to make sure i look into that next time so that i don't keep having that situation but it's difficult <laughs> And when were you diagnosed in in that in relative to the um, So I had I had my first what they thought was a breakdown in 2018 2019 but um in 2019 I got diagnosed with autism. So it was kind of I've had treatment at home instead of in the hospital and um that's when I got in touch with a psychiatrist who then did more assessments and I was misdiagnosed quite a lot before that so um this psychiatrist was really good and she noticed a lot of autistic traits and that's what kind of prompted her to to look into autism um which i'm really glad she did because yeah it <laughs> i think i think okay maybe some of the symptoms might have been a bit like they were very worrying symptoms and they could have been mental health issues but overall the way that she assessed me she she said no it's definitely autistic burnout and yeah so it was it was, an, it was a journey <laughs> it was a journey but yeah so that helped getting the clarification yeah and i ended up having yeah. psychology and treatment yeah and luckily my psychologist i was really really lucky because in the nhs it doesn't necessarily happen but my psychologist had an interest in autism so she she really knew i i felt that she really knew her stuff um and had a way in which to kind of it was called psychoeducation so she was able to really like teach me about my about autism and how it related to me um so yeah it was it was really i was i was very lucky because <laughs> it doesn't happen very often in the in the nhs um but yeah yeah that's in the you're in the uk right so that's yes i'm in the uk yeah. the national health yeah. system yeah. yeah um i'm still experiencing like after effects of it like i get very fatigued and um and i have to be careful a bit like what was said earlier about if the meltdowns are happening more frequently i know i know that there's a risk there um but that's happened through journey and and, and learning about it it's not something that just co comes overnight um so yeah <clears throat> wow thank you for sharing that 
All right, Billy, do you want to check the comments for us, please? Aha, uh -huh. it worked this time. <laughs> <laughs> I could unmute myself. Yay! We've got some um, new people in the audience joining us for the first time. Um, thank you very much for joining us. This evening in the UK, day over there. <laughs> so, yay. Um, Claire said, I have been struggling recently with being exhausted and overwhelmed. I think because I haven't had my usually Thursday rest day after volunteering, I broke down crying at the group last night. Hugs and love, Claire. Yeah. And make sure you look after yourself. Yeah. Yay. So um, I, uh, Nikki's Autism Adventures, um, she says, uh, I hope it's she, <laughs> I get burnouts if I take on too much. I thought it would go well, but actually it can be pretty overwhelming. And um, he says, yes, it is always good to prioritize and learn to say no to unimportant or additional tasks. Um, and then she's saying, that's so good, Sarah, to have someone understanding you. That's amazing. Yay. <laughs> and then we have Inside Out Kids Therapy. Uh, they say, uh, yes, we work with autistic children. This is great uh, to listen to. Um, and uh, yes, 100%. Um, we are in a constant stare state, probably, of co-regulating and learning about what sensory input is best for our kiddos. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for your comments. Keep sending them. Mm -hmm. And questions, if you have for our guests. We have very, very able guests <laughs> to answer all your questions. I think it'd be good to talk a little bit about um, strategies and ways to support. And maybe, um, Bella, do you want to talk first about, because you work with the young children, so how you support them in this area? I do. And, um, yeah, funny thing, from... Uh, how can I say this so I don't, you know, I don't know, offend anybody or anything? I'm sorry if, if, if it comes out wrong, this is not what I mean. But I would say like from all the experience that I have with autistic children in my 20 years working as a teacher and now three years of working, you know, in my own business, let's call it, my own music studio, I have the least experience with meltdowns or shutdowns or burnouts. I mean, I'm always so interested um, in learning more about, uh, about this topic because I haven't quite experienced it. And that's because one of the reasons is that I always try to prevent them and I'm not sure if it's the best strategy, maybe like Naoki said, maybe the, if the meltdown, if I feel that the meltdown is, is coming for a child that is in my studio, maybe I should let him have it. I don't know. But usually, like in, in my classroom as well, I've always had, in my 20 years of teaching, uh, I, all, I had only one child having um, a meltdown in my, in my class. 
even though those children were coming from younger years, you know, or going older years, uh, you know, after they finished in, in, in my class, they were going to a different teacher and they were having meltdowns every day. In my class, they were not having them. So everybody was asking me, what are you doing? <laughs> because they are not having any meltdowns. But I think the, the short answer is exactly what Inside Out Kids Therapy was saying, where I was in a constant state of co-regulating and I was doing it with them at the same time. And mostly part of it was, of course, paying attention like to the sensory environment as well. And um, also all the routines that I was creating through music and all the transitions that I was doing with the music and allowing time um, for those transitions to happen, not quick, quick, tidy up time. We have to go there or do that and go there. So because I, I didn't, I, I was not doing any research on that or anything else. I just saw from my first year of teaching that it was working. So I thought, why not keeping it? So I just kept it and kept it and adapted it for each group of children. And um, no, it was just not happening. And every time when I was seeing it coming uh, or I was seeing that, <clears throat> I'm not sure that the, the meltdown was coming. Maybe the overstimulation started to happen. I was immediately reacting to it uh, with the methods and the strategies that I, uh, I, I had at hand and I, I knew they were work and I was adapting them, you know, to their needs, to their preferences, to their special interests and so on and so forth. Um, uh, to, and then the meltdowns were not happening. So I only had one uh, happening and um, it was a bit scary for me to witness it as well, you know, because when you are in a classroom with other 29 children, of course, you are responsible for their safety. And this particular child was poking pencils in their faces and so on. Um, so it was a bit uh, a bit scary. And it was in his first week with me. I think it was maybe not the first day, but definitely like second day or third day. Um, it happened and I, I didn't know much uh, about him and um, yeah uh, and because I didn't know much about him I didn't quite know how to react that quickly and then in my music studio as well when I see like the lightest uh, um, uh, you know sign of overstimulation um, you know uh, or um, yeah I think overstimulation in particular um or I, I just react straight away with one of the things that I know they enjoy. Um it might be some lights, colorful lights that I have, or it might just be I pull the curtain and I start playing like a lullaby type or like instrumental music on my guitar. Um so those are like the basic things that <laughs> I react straight away and usually I see a great response in 20 to 30 seconds straight away. So I feel, yeah, w when I was reading the book, I, I did feel, is he really the best, the best for the child to, to kind of prevent the meltdown from happening? Maybe it's not best for their development or I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, it's like a question to, for both of you. What do you think? Um, yeah. Well, I think you're an amazing teacher. And I think that you aren't trying to fit the child into a neurotypical structure. 
And so what you're doing works well with the way their brain learns and functions and calms. So they're not experiencing the trauma and the layers of, you know, confusion and anxiety. So yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And if there is something that's hard for them, that's necessary to teach, um, it takes a lot of kind of figuring things out about, you know, what's involved, like, let's say it's a toothbrushing issue. Well, there can be sensory issues with the mouth and there can be demand avoidance and there can be all kinds of things and the lighting in the bathroom. So it can be kind of complex, but also um, teaching things a little bit at a time, like you're saying, not rushing and um, yeah, it's, it can be complicated, but I think you also have a really a knack for these kids. And so you just kind of intuitively know. Uh, but I'll just say real briefly, and then we'll go on to our lovely guests. Um, what I found the most effective is to um, validate the child, not try to talk to them or reason with them, give them space to calm down. Um, a lot of times if they, you know, going into their room and being allowed to play or land the, whatever they want to do versus this um, timeout kind of idea that you're being punished and you're being bad and you have to sit there, you know, those kind of things just make it worse. Um, and I've had kids um, turn around very quickly and stop having meltdowns um, because they're understood, they're loved, they're supported. And after it's over, it's not, you know, why did you do this? Let's talk about what you're supposed to do next time. And this like um, kind of reprimanding in a way. Um, to, and then they feel bad about themselves. Uh, most of the kids that I, not all, but a majority after it's over, they feel bad about it and they apologize. And so it's not purposeful. Um, so like, like Carol Jean was explaining, the meltdown is this kind of overwhelm. So that's just a little, a little bit about kids. Carol Jean, you had mentioned about some different tips and strategies. Would you share yes. those with us? So something very important and critical to understand when it comes to meltdowns, shutdowns, and autistic burnout is that those three things are only a result of an underlying need going unmet. That's it. They are a signpost that that individual's needs are not being met. When you start to view it through that lens and that understanding, you start to put on your research coat and you get curious and you start mm -hmm. asking better questions you start responding in more effective and appropriate ways signposts are what i teach i uh, have a burnout to thriving course which is free uh, if you get the top 20 warning signs that you may be in autistic burnout at the bottom are links and resources to this mini course, which is free. It's delivered via email and you receive a workbook that takes you through five different layers of identifying 
what your signposts are for shutdown, meltdown, and burnout, what they look like in your life, how to start identifying them. And this is a really good place to start, especially if you're late identified or if you're a parent and you're trying to help your child through this. Um, I am now entering year three for the first time since I was six years old and I am burnout, meltdown, and shutdown free. Wow. That is tremendous. That has been life changing. And it is because I began to understand what my needs are, what being autistic and ADHD is to me. Those things are constantly changing and it is not about balance. It really isn't. It's about unveiling being your authentic self, learning what your needs are in all areas, because there's, there's more than just sensory. There's more right. than just social. These are things that there's so much more to what your needs are and being able to identify those. The Burnout to Thriving Workbook helps take you through identifying what these things are to help you begin to put together a pattern. And by the end of the five layers of this and the five days of coaching, you have built your own personalized <coughs> map to you to help you or your child manage what your needs are and to live in harmony with that, not constantly looking for, well, what do I need to do? It's not always about what we need to do because sometimes our to-do list is loaded with things that really don't matter. It's about finding the harmony in who am I being? Who am I? And how am I in the world? And how is the world with me? And finding that harmony. That's amazing. I'm going to definitely check that out. That's yeah. wonderful. Can you give one example of something that you found out for yourself that was causing burnout that you adjusted to? One of the biggest components was a time boundary, a healthy time boundary. Number one, I didn't know what the heck boundaries were. I knew that we were supposed to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, and please, and we were supposed to do what we were told. Those were boundaries in my mind. Learning about seven different areas of boundaries, and I teach these in the seven different, in the three levels of boundaries, time, how I manage my time. I am ADHD as well. And so I have time blindness. So recognizing that I could get hyper-focused on what I was doing and what felt like maybe 30 minutes had been four hours. Mm -hmm. And I would not get up and go to the bathroom. I would not go eat because I didn't recognize that much time had passed. So one of the biggest contributors to burnout for me was recognizing that I had an experience, time blindness. And a really good way, if you're not sure, if you have time blindness or you think, ooh, Carol Jean just said something I'm relating to, here's a good way to test it. And I have a post about this on my account if you wanna go read a little further into it, but here's the gist of it. Take your phone and set it for 10 minutes. Set a timer for 10 minutes. Get up and go do a physical task or activity. Go sweep the floors, load the dishwasher, pick up the dirty laundry, do something where you're actively physical. And when the timer goes off, sit down and journal and reflect. How long did that feel 
Did it feel like 10 minutes? Did it feel like two minutes? Did it feel like an hour? Then set your phone timer again for 10 minutes. This time, I want you to do only a mental task. Surf and scroll social media, read a book, do something on the computer, but only a mental task. When the timer goes off, do the same thing. Did it feel like two minutes? Did it feel like 10? Did it feel like maybe two seconds or an hour? When you do that, you will discover if you have time blindness based on how did that 10 minutes feel? And then compare the two. When I was doing a physical task, time felt like this. When I was doing a mental task, time felt like this. So time blindness will get you and time boundaries. <laughs> Right, because if you lose track of time, then you're not getting to do the things that need to get done, and then you start to feel stressed, and yeah, well, thank you. Um, Sarah, how about you with um, what we're talking about? Is this resonating uh, with you? Yeah. And what what um, strategies have you tried? Um, I think for me, um, my, my main triggers that I identified was masking um, anxiety because I have a generalized anxiety disorder um, and sensory issues. Those are my main three triggers. I mean, there are other ones as well, but those are quite significant. And if I don't manage those, then I can, that can lead to burnout. Um, so that's what I've been working on over the last year or two to try and understand how, how I can identify those things. But unmasking was a huge one because movement for me is soothing and and actually that was something that I was suppressing a, a lot, like the stimming and stuff. So um, as soon as I like felt able to unmask in that way, um, this I got this overwhelming sense of like being soothed that I'd not experienced before. Um, wow. And I think that's that's a huge that's a huge thing for me now and if I if I allow myself to move it in the way that I, I need to or my body feels like it needs to then that's that's something that I'm going to do because it helps me prevent that sh that that shutdown or that burnout um yeah so that's one big thing <laughs> and do you get messages as a child to not stim um yeah it was it was like don't do that you 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 look silly or don't stop doing that it was constant especially at school as well you know as a child growing up in a in a neurotypical mainstream school it was you know things like stop stop fiddling with your shoes stop it was always stop doing this stop doing that so you kind of conform and you think okay I've got to hold all of this in um and the only release that I did get as a child I did a lot of sport but that wasn't it almost wasn't enough because I needed to do it at home. I needed to do it at school. It wasn't just like that two hour session that I would do rowing or swimming or whatever that was. Um, I, it was a, an intense feeling um, that I needed to let, let, let out. And I've only learned that in the last kind of few, couple of years, uh, but particularly since my diagnosis um, and the people around me are learning about it now too. So there's less judgment and more acceptance. Mm. They've still got some learning to do, especially my dad, but, <laughs> but he, he, but he, he understands it a lot more now. And then, um, yeah. So that's a big one. 
That's awesome. I love that you allow yourself to do what your body needs and that you're working through any, you know, that kind of stuff sticks. In my, I have to plug in my phone here. That kind of <laughs> stuff, those messages can be stuck in your head and almost unconscious so that when you feel like stimming without even thinking about it, it can suppress it. So I love that mm -hmm. you're allowing yourself to, to just be and, um, how important that is so i think that's a, an important message to to a lot of autistics who mask yeah. mm -hmm. yes absolutely in, in to find their own way but but right. not to not, not to feel pressured to to conform and suppress because it, it it's a very very slippery slope to 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 melt like yes. melt sit downs and then burnouts eventually if you carry on so and I think, like you said, you're educating your loved ones mm -hmm. so that they can understand and be supportive and not, you know, go, what are you doing? You know, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have to wrap up in a couple minutes. But Bella, do you want to read any more comments that have come in? Yeah, we had a question. I think Sarah just answered uh, to okay. this question. It says, what advice would you, would you give to your younger self? And Sarah just said, be yourself, do what you need to do. Don't feel the pressure. But if you want to add anything else, you can. And then, then we had Inside Out Kids Therapy. They're describing it. Um, I like it. It says, it's, it's like a dance, knowing how much to push, how little, when to give the children space, when they need input. It's a lot of reading the kiddos and then responding um love the way you guys explained it yeah there were some other people resonating with what we were doing in here yeah but that's it for the moment Thank yes so let's go, kind of go around and any final comments or last kind of thoughts carol jean well, thank you so much for inviting me and, and bearing through all our technical difficulties <laughs> getting started. What I would like to leave people with today is the most important thing um, as an adult for yourself or as a parent for your child and for your family, for yourself, is to create an environment of safety, of emotional, psychological, and physical safety where it's okay and it's understood that mistakes are, are part of life, that no one is perfect and that mistakes are the things that lead us to our breakthroughs, that lead us to our answers. The messy middle is where the beautiful things in life happen. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism will keep you stuck and it will lead you to burnout. But when we can create a place where experimentation, getting messy, making mistakes is a beautiful part and safe place to be, then we are allowed to know ourselves, to learn who we are through that process. And we also deepen our connections, not just to ourselves, but to one another to our family members and to those that we love. When we have open dialogue and we're sharing what expectations are 
what we experience and what our unique perspective is. And we listen with curiosity and compassion. That is what changes lives. That is where the world becomes a better place for everyone, no matter your neurotype. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And I just, one thought came to me as parents is it's okay to be imperfect as well because you're modeling for your kids that they can be imperfect. How about you, Sarah? Um, I just want to say thank you for inviting me again. And cause I do love your lives and um, it's been a pleasure meeting Geraldine as well. I've learned a lot from you. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both for being here. And I also come to think of it, I have a, a free report um, that you can get through my link tree on how to support children and adults through even through tantrums, meltdowns, anxiety. So um, you could check that out as well. To you, Bella. Uh Thank you to our guests and to you for being here. I, I love this topic and I feel like I am a lot better prepared for um, my work with the autistic children now. <laughs> and I, I, I love knowing the difference between the three of them a lot better and understanding it a lot better. And looking now at the title, I kind of, I, I put burnouts, meltdowns and shutdowns. I need to reverse some of them according to Carol Jean. The order is not this way. <laughs> so thank you very much for educating us, both of you, and for sharing from your experiences. Always so, so appreciative of, um, hearing and learning from uh, you both. Same here. Thank you guys so much. And we'll be back again next Wednesday with more, more discussions. <laughs> we don't know the topic, but we'll do it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, actually, we're talking, we are talking about um, are the we? vulnerability to susceptibility to abuse and bullying and that kind of stuff. So that should be really that would be hard. It's going to be intense, but it's really important. It's mm -hmm. really important. So true. All true. Right. See everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. -bye. Bye.